You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the sound designer for The Lost Leonardo, Peter Albrechtson. There are only about 15 Leonardos known. To say I have found a picture like this is just so far-fetched. You're just going to look like a fool. This is the most improbable story that has ever happened in the art market. It's not even a good painting. So I find this painting that's cataloged as after Leonardo. The lost Salvatore Mundi, the savior of the world. For whatever reason, this picture attracts my attention. And we decided to buy it. The painting was very damaged and I removed some retouching. My hands are shaking. No one could have painted this except Leonardo. The joke was that that was a contemporary painting because 90% of it was painted during the restoration. Something's fishy here. But that's ridiculous. We have extensive technical analysis of the picture, infrared, new X radiography. It's been authenticated. Wow. Oh, God. <laughs> it should be Leonardo attributed. If it was by the hand of the master, then it would be exponentially upon exponentially more valuable. It was worth in excess of $200 million. This is the male Mona Lisa. You're now buying a global celebrity. Pour négocier ce tableau, j'utilisais un ami à moi qui est un ancien joueur de poker. C'est du jeu commercial. It's not about art and love. It's about money. It's about transferring funds. Whenever there's a lot of money involved, the world becomes a bunch of worms intertwined. You can stick it in the desert and lure tourists. It's not just art history, it's world politics. Everybody was complicit in dreaming up lost Leonardo da Vinci. Nobody really cares what the truth is. 240 million. 300 million. 400 million. Sold. This is the most expensive painting ever sold in the history of the art world. Where the hell is that painting? Nobody knows where it is. Let's uh, let's talk about this film. The first time we ever spoke, I believe, was about a documentary and you blew my mind when you told me in that previous film that pretty much everything i think it was generation wealth yeah. and you told me that pretty much everything i heard in that documentary aside from the audio from the interviews was created by you so i i sit down to watch the lost leonardo and i notice it's a very it's a very sonic film. It's a film that you really hear across the board. So I think you're going to tell me once again that even though much of the film is B-roll and recreations of people walking on streets and walking through warehouses and uh, you know uh, auction houses, there's all these sounds, you're going to tell me that you created most of that. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, there's some of this that is like actual events like the auction and stuff like that but still even there it is it's being built up afterwards and you do that to be able to i mean create the the i mean this tension and this like the this this whole special like atmosphere and suspense that's in the film i mean i i i've read some of the reviews and several of them are like talking about it's almost like a thriller and and i really feel the same way that it's that it's uh, it's such a t like tense story and for really to recreate that feeling then 
what you do is that I spend a lot of time on getting hold of like sounds from all these different places in the world where the film is taking place. Um, so we have like all kinds of um, geographical locations from all around the world. So getting getting sounds from all these places, but then building that up so it really fits with the whole mood of the film is incredibly important and and something that I had sound designers spent a lot of time on, like just getting getting the feel right for for all these really intricate uh, like things that are going on in this story. It's such a multi-layered film. So on something like this, and you're right, I mean, a big part of the reason it is so suspenseful is, is how well you hear everything. On a project like this, they've obviously recreated a lot of footage. There's a lot of B-roll. Does it have its own production audio? It comes to you, you know, these shots of people walking down hallways or on the streets, or do you get effectively audio-less footage and then you kind of decide this is what is going to feel right and you just add all that in? So it changes a bit. I mean, there's some of the B-roll where there's some specific things which we would like to keep, but like like if there's something special going on. But I feel that, I mean, a lot of it is... I mean, in, in documentaries, there's this kind of tradition of kind of you you shoot some some footage, which is yeah, like you say, you're calling it B-roll, like it's just it's something to fill out the gaps <laughs> in a way. Yeah. But visually, then what's happening in this film is that the B-roll is so incredibly important for for the whole feel of the film. So. I mean, in that sense, it's not really B-roll, it's more like A-roll, but <laughs> like, and because it's so important, then, I mean, you don't just want to have like a noisy room tone playing when you see something, a, a, a special place somewhere, like everything has to tell the right story. And that is why, I mean, we go to so, such great length to kind of really build up everything. So, yeah, so it's uh, it's a lot of uh, ambiences and effects and then also a lot of foley. Um, and then on top of that, it's also a lot of, in a film like this, there's quite a lot of score. Yeah. So often I also build up my sound so that they fit with the music. So there's a lot of places where... Kind of, I mean, in many ways, it's it's the whole musical flow of the film is so important. So I, I mean, often we, I, I did the sound together with two Swedish sound designers. Uh, so we were actually three people on it, and we spent a lot of time on like really building up the whole flow of the thing. So so there's a lot of places where like to go into some sounds then they're going backwards or we pitch them so that they work with the music in the score a big thing was having this theme that this uh, vocal signature theme which is actually sung by one of the singers who's also singing on the Green Knight soundtrack by Daniel Hart. Oh, that's cool. I'm obsessed with that score. Yeah, that's such a brilliant score. <laughs> 
I mean, they wanted to kind of create a voice for the Salvatore Mundi, for the painting, the uh, the, the Leonardo painting. So um, a lot of the score is quite modern or like has electronic things in it. But then there's these moments where it's all about the painting and they use these choir arrangements, which sound like almost historical in a way. And I really loved that idea. So I got hold of a lot of the recordings that was done with this singer and used her voice as an element in the sounds as well. So when we're in the desert, when the, 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 her voice is also a part of the desert winds. Oh, that's uh, cool. Her voice is also a part of like some of the elements in the in the, the some of the city soundscapes. Like um, so, it's so it's a way of kind of making both music and sound come together, but also making in a way creating like a sonic signature for this painting, which is the whole story about this painting is incredible, but also just, I felt that it was really interesting to um, kind of create a, a, a layer in the sound, which, which kind of told you how, 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 how this piece is something that's been there for so many years. I mean, it's such an old painting that still fascinates us. I mean, it's a, yeah. And I find that so incredible. And it's, it's uh, and no matter if if it's not a Leonardo or if it is a Leonardo, it's still a, a thing of the past that has survived all these many years and just keeps on fascinating us. I find that really interesting. So obviously, you are uh, you you are doing a lot of creative work in this beyond just kind of providing these sounds to go with the footage, as you just described. Tell me about some of the sequences where you are providing background to, for example, I remember there's a scene early on where uh, it's talking about, it's showing the painting being transferred on a map and it's got kind of this whooshing sound as it goes along. Tell me about providing the sounds where, you know, it's not like it's a scene where someone's walking down a hallway. So you kind of have something to go with, like, I'm going to provide footsteps, something like that, where you're really building from the ground up. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, I mean, that's one of the things I love about the film is that there's several of these moments where you kind of just have to imagine sounds because it's kind of, it's something that doesn't have a sound. So, I mean, how does it sound when, you see just a visual signature of this painting traveling through different countries. I mean, there is no sound for that. So I thought it was quite interesting to kind of make it a mixture of this female choir voice that I just talked about and then some quite modern stuff. So there's some electronic manipulations going on with where you kind of hear that it's also big business in a way. It's big modern business, like like this feeling that it's also like an industry. Yeah. So it's both on one side, it's like, I mean, beautiful piece of art and it has survived for so many years. But then on the other hand, it's also a portrait of, I mean, this modern culture of wealth. I mean, I mean this thing where you just 
people have too much too much money and just like it's it's so much about money and so much about yeah. kind of showing off how for rich people that they can have these kind of tokens almost like it's kind of like where you think okay it's it's really about it's all it's i think for some of these people it's really all about the money and it's not about art or culture or uh, heritage or anything it's really about showing how much money they have um, there's kind of that contrast in the story there's definitely that contrast in the in the sound as well so there's kind of on one side there's these beautiful vocal sounds and then on the other side there's some electronic weird <laughs> distorted sounds which have have this feeling of okay so this is how all this beauty from the past i mean how it ended up it ended up in like being all about millions of dollars coming from billionaires who we don't even know and where nobody else gets to appreciate it anymore exactly yeah 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 so as as you kind of pointed out too the film has a thriller structure to it so one thing i was curious about is um when you were trying to sync up sounds with footage showcasing the real world, um, there's a presence to a lot of it that almost feels like a horror film. Like there's a scene, I think, when it's describing, I think it was talking about the Freeport system, and it shows all these warehouses and the lights start shutting down down the halls when you get like this almost evoked like a horror film for me you know what i'm talking about mm -hmm. yeah i was curious about that and then like the presence you gave the gavel bang that just is so authoritative and also serves as like a nice transition point so tell me about some of these thriller sounds you created um there's definitely like a whole thing of like a, a lot of drama and a lot of uh, i don't know if it should feel scary but it should definitely feel like entering a world that is in a way like alien and yeah and scary in a way i mean it's so f like this whole freeport thing that's a quite big thing in the in the whole story i mean it reminded me so much of the tenet uh chris chris nolan's tenet where i like i didn't know about this whole freeport thing and then suddenly like that's almost a world in itself and and that's definitely like that whole thing got me thinking of this harshness, this harshness of sound, like like you're saying, like big, like where every sound feels hard and harsh. So whereas um, kind of one of the main characters in the film is is um, this um, woman who has in a way kind of i mean she has restored the painting and she lives now in this beautiful italian place which has all these really like subtle beautiful italian nature sounds around her and then there's kind of like the absolute opposite of that which is this freeport warehouse kind of feeling where like everything is hard and harsh um so we're really working with those kind of dynamics so that was also a big thing sonically to kind of create that dynamic of just like getting you into a place where it feels like everything is on the edge 
feel that whole world also being very cold in a way. Oh yeah. So so in inhuman and so a lot of that doesn't have any like human sounds to it. It doesn't have any voices in the background. Whereas a lot of the uh, when you're in the cities and you kind of establish those environments, then I often use sounds of the different. I mean, the different places where we're in around the world, I often have background voices because I feel that creates a human element to it. But when we're in these warehouses, then it's all cold and you don't hear any voices. So it's a very inhuman world in a way. It feels like, like such a cold, claustrophobic environment. That was a big part of establishing that whole part of the story. I feel like you should have been a, uh, a psychiatrist because you do have a good understanding of how the human brain works and to how to kind of get under a scan. Because you're exactly right. This definitely made me feel lonely, oddly enough, when I was watching some of this, which is fascinating that you're able to do that. It's crazy. It's crazy how we react to sounds that way. I mean, because some of this is... I mean, it's not like I'm sitting with the director and talking for hours about the emotional effect of things, but it's really like when you start working on it and you then realize, okay, so this place, it feels like a place where you don't want any human sounds. So we kind of took that away and it just, it just felt like it should be very cold, but it's not something that... Like we we sit out and make a big plan for and oh okay so this psychologically should feel like this it was more like just when working on it that okay so this is these are the right sounds for this environment and when you make a movie like this where it's in a way it's quite fragmented because it's so many interviews and you kind of jump from place to place then it's important really important to find a sonic signature for each of these environments that you're in so uh, that whole kind of freeport warehouse thing really got its own kind of really cold sonic feel you've watched them in unforgettable adventures love affairs and tragedies now it's time to hear their own remarkable stories from the makers of death of a rock star and death of a sports star this is Death Ready. of a Film Star. And Starring Heath Ledger, Marilyn Monroe, Chadwick Boseman, Robin Williams, Carrie Fisher, and Bruce Lee. Search for Death of a Film Star in your podcast app. You've seen them tell stories. Now it's time to tell theirs. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Burn the Boats from Evergreen Podcasts. I interview political leaders and influencers, folks like award-winning journalist Soledad O'Brien and conservative columnist Bill Kristol about the choices they confront when failure is not an option. I won't agree with everyone I talk to, but I respect anyone who believes in something enough to risk everything for it, because history belongs to those willing to burn the boats. Episodes are out every other week wherever you get your podcasts. So, and then the last thing I want to ask is obviously everybody, um, you know, this, this film ends up being about a lot more than just, is it 
is the painting real or not? You know, I think, as you said, the, this exploration of greed is what makes it so interesting. But but I am curious, to the extent the truth exists, what do you personally think it is? It's really hard to say. I mean, I, <laughs> I must say, I, I'm, I, I don't think I'm really kind of thinking that it is real or it's it's fake. It, for me, I like that the film doesn't give a conclusive answer for this. And I find it actually quite important that we're not making like necessarily a film which says yes or no to that question, but that it's much more up to the to the audience to kind of decide on this. Another big thing in the in the film is the way that the media like reacts to all this and how you there's a lot of like clips from different media like a lot of sound clips from media from around the world and that's something that kind of accelerates throughout the film where you hear like all kind of different media from around the world it's saying okay so this is what happened or what or what's happening now um and that whole thing we also i i I've made all these collages of sound, of these sound clips, which just accelerates throughout the film. So it becomes more and more dizzying. All these things where you just hear uh, news reports from all around the world talking about this painting. And Oh, this was all you. I thought this was the editor. So oh, those montages are fantastic. Yeah, so the editor kind of found found these different clips. And then for me, I instead of just being small clips saying something, then I built up this whole collage of them so that it felt much more like they're coming from all around you. And they just like, it just keeps on accelerating throughout the film. So that's something that I found very interesting because it, it fits so well with the theme of the film that, okay, it's, it's really, I mean, it's also about how the media reacts to this and how, they really love a good story in a way, but like it becomes, it becomes so much about like the sensation of all these things. And I feel that in that sense, it's, I mean, it, this is not just about the rich and the poor, but it's also about the media going crazy for these things. So I thought that was very interesting to use in the sound as well. So you have kind of like almost uh, um, an accelerating amount of just news coming in. So I was sitting with the director, Andreas Kufel, and we we kept on finding new news clips like that somehow underlying this whole media chaos surrounding the painting. So throughout the film, it just, it keeps on like getting crazy and crazy and crazy. So you almost have this feeling that Hey, this—it's uh, like a whirlwind of of information, and it's super fascinating. I mean, whoa! It's so much money, so much like cultural heritage. Whoa, this is really interesting. But at the same time, it's also like a drug that like makes you high in a way. You can kind of—I mean—I feel that throughout the film, you can also feel a little bit of this rush that these rich people must feel when they kind of 
whoa, they they found this painting. They can they can have it. They can, it's amazing. And the same kind of like rush you I, I feel that you get from the film, which and I think in that regard that saying, okay, so this is a real painting or this is a fake. I mean, for me, the film is not so much about that. It's more like describing this the crazy art world as it is. Yeah, one of my uh, one of my hands down, one of my favorite aspects of the film. You're talking about the media hoopla, is the um, just absurd promotion that Christie's did for the painting yeah. to get everyone on board, <laughs> like bringing in Leonardo DiCaprio and having him yeah. cry and all those, those that footage of those people, like getting tears in their eyes, looking at it, just hysterical. It, it definitely makes you feel very cynical. You know, it's something that's so pure, like this wonderful work of art and you just get like a, a, a marketing blitz of it. And um, I, I did like the way it was structured too, to make you just, feel uncertain about a lot of things and a lot of people some of the footage the editor of the film chose to uh certain people when they're talking they're looking off camera or just yeah, including exactly. these shots of them that just make them look suspicious so but also make them look human in a way so i mean because sometimes these movies with experts talking it becomes so much like okay, that's just another expert and just another expert and they don't feel relatable in a way. Whereas I feel that when you show some of these people and like they, you can feel that they are, they are also a little bit insecure about what's going on or they're not like, they're not certain about every everything. And I like that kind of, yeah, uncertainty that's in the film. Like there's not a narrator telling you, so this is the truth. It's really like, you have all kind of narrators telling you different things and it's kind of often like one person is saying something uh, which has kind of one story to tell and then someone says the opposite thing and it's not really like, okay, so this guy is telling the truth and this person is lying. No, no, it's just like, okay, who's saying what and what's the truth there? Yeah, there's a lot of that. So, how long until you become a full-blown film composer? Given the uh, all the like almost score-like work you've done on this and Killing of Two Lovers, it's coming, right? One of these days, we're gonna see you get a full-blown composer credit. <laughs> I really love working with very closely with the composer. I think it's incredibly important for the sound design to really integrate with the music a lot. So that's also why I did that on this film but i mean i the composer uh, uh Sveinum, swedish composer did this i mean and his his score is really amazing and i mean <laughs> there's no chance i would be able to do anything like that so yeah is it gonna be on spotify soon because i want to hear the score again <laughs> yeah i i wish i wish he'd put it on i'll i'll ask him to I'll ask please him to do, do. That. i would like everybody yeah. to hear it yeah yeah Exactly. I mean, for me, for me, this, I mean, this, the score has this amazing kind of dynamics to it, both like, I mean, being modern and, and classical at the same time, but also, I mean, sometimes emotional, sometimes very suspenseful. And it's pretty amazing how many different feelings it kind of encapsulates. Um, so, 
what I then do with the sound is often like really like making sure that the sounds sounds fit with Sveinung's music all the time. And like when we do the last mix pass, it's often like then Sveinung is saying like, well, this is really great, but then there's this this sound that comes in there. Could you pitch that a little so that the tone fits with the music that comes in next? And uh, so in that way, we really kind of inspire each other and, and and I mean the the sum of our work is kind of more than any of us could create individually. Well Peter this is yet another wonderful piece of work and I look forward to uh hearing your work in what what is your film going to Venice called? That's called Costa Brava Lebanon. Costa Brava Lebanon. Well I'm looking forward to seeing and hearing that. And I know you still have a secretive project you won't tell me about. Is there anything else that is public already that we can look forward to hearing your work in? No, but this one will be good, Will. I, I promise you that. I'll, I'll keep you posted when I can say something. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing it. All right. Well, thank you so much, Peter. It's always a pleasure. Thanks so much. All right. Talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the sound designer for The Lost Leonardo, Peter Albrechtson, here on The Next Best Picture Podcast. The Lost Leonardo is currently playing in theaters and available to stream on VOD from Sony Pictures Classics. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture Podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon for $1 minimum a month you will get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.